Be turning your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Come on, Marty. It is great to see everybody today. Great to be together to worship. <clears throat> this is one of the favorite times of the year for me. Now, I have a lot of favorites of the year. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like the one we just came through. I, I like the Christmas season and all that. And getting to see family that you don't normally get to see is... Uh, 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 a mixed blessing sometimes, but mostly a blessing. Uh, but uh, I, I love the new year uh, because there's a nice feeling of let's sort of put the old behind us and let's put the new in front of us. Uh, a little bit of a fresh start uh, kind of a thing, if you know what I mean. Now there are, uh, there are three passages in the New Testament that talk about the concept that we're going to be studying about today of unfinished business. And if you want to put a title on this lesson, that would be a good title for it. Unfinished Business. I don't know about you, but I go into the new year and I always feel like, uh, you know, there's some things that are unfinished that I want to do better at. And I want to uh, continue in, in that kind of thing in my life. Uh, you know, the, the old year did end, but there's things that I'm doing that I still haven't finished. Any of you have that feeling? So this is a little bit of an unfinished kind of a thing uh, that we have going in to this type of year. These three passages uh, talk about the idea, and I think within these passages, it gives us a little bit of uh, maybe an insight in each case uh, that we can use in getting our 2015 off to a great start. No one wants to say, okay, 2015, let's be mediocre. What's What's your goal for the year? I want to be mediocre. I just want to slide through. I want to do the bare minimum. Uh, You know, none of us feel that, do you? You say, you know, I want 2015 to be a great year in my life. I want it to be a time where I make uh, some good changes and good growth in my life, where a lot of exciting and new things happen uh, that I can remember all the rest of my life. And we're going to look at these passages and hopefully pull out some good stuff. Philippians chapter 3. You guys there? Now, in, in uh, in this passage, Paul has just said in verse 10, I want to know Christ. So, pretty big goal, right? And and the power of His resurrection. Fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. And I mean, He shares all these things. He says, I really want this really great relationship with God. And I want to understand things that I don't now understand. And then He says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this. Isn't that interesting? He knows there's some things in life that He would like to have, but He also recognizes... I know I'm not there. Can you relate with that? Man, I can relate with that. There's so many things in my life that I would like to be at a better level. Can you think of anything in your life like that? Lots of things. Yeah, we all have things in our life where we know, you know, in a perfect world, of course we don't live in a perfect world, right? But in a perfect world, you know, we might say, you know, hey, I wish I could bump my IQ up a couple points. Perhaps. You know, for some of us, we'd say that that'd be interesting. Now, if you're Ray Tan, you're like, no, I'm at the top already. Uh, uh, By the way, I thought Raymond did an unbelievably good job. 
What a, uh, what a masterful use of uh, a story from his life to, to uh, uh, you know, fit it into the communion uh, story and preparation and thinking and uh, going from, you know, the negative to the positive. I, I thought, uh, I was just so impressed with, uh, with what he did. But, you know, there's all kinds of things in our life where we say, hey, I know, I wish I could be a little bit better. And I know I'm not there. And that's what Paul says. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. So he's going to lay out. Okay, here's what I try to do when I realize there's something in my life that I want to have and I know I'm not quite there. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two things there that he says. I forget what's behind and I strain for what's ahead. He's saying I can sort of reset myself with these two things. And that's what a new year is. A new year is a reset. You know, we go from 2014 to 2015. From what it was to what it is now in my life. This is a reset. This is a chance to, to go at it again, if you know what I'm saying. And he's saying in this reset idea... You have to have a forgetting and you have to have a straining. And I want to talk about these two types of things in our life. What do you forget? Okay, well let's, let's talk about that. I think very specifically, you try to forget the failures of the past. Because that's actually what he's saying. He says, I want to know Christ. I know I'm not quite there. So I forget what's behind. I forget the time that I wasn't quite where I wanted to be. I forget the failure or the failures that I've had in my life. All of us have failures. You know, those of us that that struggle with feeling like, wow, I fail a lot. We have a tendency to look at other people and say, well, I fail, but it looks like to me, they're always winning. My observation of many, many years in the ministry dealing with a lot of people is that's simply not true. Everybody deals with failures in their life. It's not like you're the one. You know, everybody else is, is winning and you're losing. Everybody else is having all this great success in life and you're struggling. No, everybody has failures in their life. Sometimes. We look at people that are being successful in areas that we're not being successful in and we say, well, they're being successful there and I'm not. But all you have to do is look at their life in an overall sense. What you're going to see is, yes, they probably have some winning going on in some areas of their life, but they probably have other areas of their life that aren't going quite as well. You know what I'm saying? You know, this is is the person that they've made, you know, $6 million, but their marriage failed. You know, and you've made $60. (laughs) But you got a great marriage. And and your children love. So, you know, they're probably looking at you and saying, Wow, wow, look at how great they're doing. And how I failed in in life. Everybody has areas of life where they deal with failure. And he's saying you need to forget failure. Forget the missteps. Forget the sins, perhaps, even, of the past. Try in your best to put that behind you. You know, they say in baseball, it's not baseball season now, but they say in baseball the key to being a good pitcher is you've got to have a really short memory. 
Because you know, imagine you're in a ballpark and there's 40,000 people watching you and you throw a ball up there and the guy just smashes it out of, out of the ballpark. How do you feel as, as a pitcher right now? Do you, you feel like, hey, I'm the man. I'm the stud. No, you're the dud. You, you're, you're the guy. You're not the stud. You're the dud. You just threw the ball and he's, he hit a home run. But they said the key to being a, a great pitcher is you've got to have a really short memory. You've got to forget that past. It, it, it happened. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good pitch. And he took advantage of your bad pitch. But you've got to put that behind you. For some of us in this room even, our problem is, is that we have too much memory. We, have, we remember too acutely, too much of the mistakes, the, the missteps, the sins in our life. He says you've got to forget what's behind. There's a good sense of forgetting that's healthy in your life. Put it behind you. Move on. That's what he's saying. Forget what's behind, but also not just forget what's behind, but strain toward what's ahead. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. When Paul is writing to Timothy in chapter 4 of, of, the, of the letter, 1 Timothy 4, and we're going to begin reading at verse 15, he gives him some very good advice about his life. Actually, as a minister, chapter 4 is like a treasure chest of how to be a good minister, but you're not uh, interested in that right now and we're not, we're not studying that right now. But in verse 15 he says, uh, he's talked about a variety of different things that he wants Timothy to be doing. And then in verse 15 he says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely because if you persevere in them, uh, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is, this is the epitome of strain toward what's ahead. Look what he says to him. Be diligent. Work hard. That's what that means. Be diligent. Focus yourself. I know we have the, uh, the, uh, the, the students in here. You guys are going to be starting back to school tomorrow, right? Yeah. Everybody's fired up about going back to school, right? Well, the parents are. Amen. <laughs> in most cases in your lives, guys, girls and boys, listen to me here. The issue of you doing well in your classroom is not your intelligence. It's your effort. It's not an issue of whether you're naturally smart. Some people are naturally smarter than others. There's no question about that. But the people who have success in life and excel in life are those who properly apply themselves. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. Total focus. Total commitment. I want it. I want to do well. For many, many people, it's not an issue of whether they have the intelligence to make good grades. It's the issue of whether they care. Believe me, you're looking at one of them in front of you. I didn't care in high school much what my grades were. I was pretty sure that I was going to go to college 
And it was going to have to do with, with wrestling. It didn't have to do with my performance in the classroom. And I didn't care. And that's exactly what happened. But you know when I became a Christian, I realized that as a Christian, how I perform in the classroom is a reflection of who I am as a Christian. All of a sudden, I started making A's and B's. Now, isn't that the funniest thing? The dumb wrestler all of a sudden is making A's and B's now. Why? Because I cared. I focused. I said, it's time. This is important. This is not just so I can stay eligible. This is important. And you know, when you apply yourself, sometimes you shock yourself at what you can do. You're like, whoa, man, I wish I'd have been doing this all along. That's true not only in, in intellectual things and classrooms, but oftentimes it's true even in physical things. It's amazing to me how many people will run a half marathon or maybe even a full marathon that never really did much in, in the realm of athletics before. And all of a sudden they said, you know, I, I, I want to do that. And all of a sudden they do it and they're like, whoa. I guess I'm a little more athletic than I thought I was. <laughs> no, it's just you focused. And you decided to apply yourself. So this reset thing is about forget what's behind and strain toward what is ahead. Okay, now let's go on. Let's look at that. We have these other two we want to look at as well. Look over Revelation chapter 3. So our first lesson here of how do you, uh, how do you get the unfinished business done? How do you get the next year off, this year off to a great start? Is you got to reset. You got to forget what's behind and straight toward what's ahead. Now, this one's going to be a little bit more uh, pointed, okay? In Revelation 3, beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church at Sardis write, and this is about the, uh, the first uh, two chap- uh, chapters of uh, Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, are about the churches. And he writes these little letters to the different churches, and this is to the church in Sardis. He says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. In other words, I know you guys. I know what you've been doing. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Okay, now this is a reset, right? He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You need to strengthen what, 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 what's hanging on there. You need to get this thing turned around. And essentially, he says, what you need to do is you need to repent. Now, repent is one of those words that the Bible uses that are outside of the Bible or church, you generally don't hear in normal conversation, right? Repent. Let me give you the definition of repent. And uh, for some of you, you know this, but it's a good reminder. Repent, in a dictionary explanation type of a way, is a change of heart and mind. A change of heart and mind that results in the change of action. A change of your heart or mind that leads to a change in your life or change in your action. When a person becomes a Christian, repentance is part of becoming a Christian. 
Right? That's simple. That's ABCs. We all know that. Part of becoming a Christian is you have to repent. You have to change your mind, change your heart, that leads to a change of action. So that's part of becoming a Christian. But for some of us here in the room, we've been Christians for several years. Some of us several decades. What happens oftentimes is that repentance becomes something that you did when you became a Christian. But not something that you have continued to do in your Christian life. Repentance should be something that any mature Christian has an ongoing understanding of. Repentance is not just what you did. Repentance is what you're doing now in your life. You say, why? Why do I need to continue to repent? Well, because you continue to sin. You continue to make mistakes. If you're driving a car, okay, you're on the car, in the car, the road is straight, at least as far as you can see. As far as you can tell, you've got the tires correlating to your hands on the wheel pointed straight down the road, right? Okay, if you push the gas, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Well, you're going to go faster, yeah, but... (laughs) You think that you've got it all figured out. The road is straight. The tires are straight. The steering wheel seems to be straight in my hands. And you've pushed the gas. Life is now moving on. And you're going forward. And oh! But you know what's going to happen? Sooner or later you're going to have to realize... I'm going off the road. I'm going to have to turn. I'm going to have to change my mind. I'm going to have to adapt. And you see, before long, that road that you thought was straight is going to turn. You couldn't see that at that time. As far as you can tell, the road is straight. The tires are straight. My hands on the steering wheel are straight. Everything's great. We can go forward and everything's going to be super. Uh Uh-oh, I didn't know the road turned. (laughs) Repentance is the total understanding that in my life, if I'm moving forward in my life, life changes. And I have got to change with it. I've got to repent. Repentance is a change of mind. Now I want you to think about this. How easy is it for you to get your mind changed? I mean, some of us, we are strong-minded people. And being a strong-minded person is a great thing. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if you are so stubborn that nobody or anything can change your mind, you're, you're going to run off the road. Because we have got to continue to repent in life. We've got to continue to change our mind, change our heart, that leads to a change of our actions. Parents, it's one thing to parent a five-year-old. But the problem is, you, you, you think you got it figured out when they're five. 
And then all of a sudden, they're 15. Oh my gosh, the road turned. Whoa, whoa, I thought we were doing great. What happened? Well, what happened was, is the 5-year-old became a 10-year-old, then it became a 15-year-old, and we think we've got it figured out. My children are 29 and 28. And I'm telling you, I don't have it figured out. You say, well, man, if they only just grow up and get married, that'll be the answer to everything. <laughs> well, it answers some things and doesn't answer other things. You know, now you have a son-in-law or a, or a daughter-in-law and you're like, oh my, you know, and I, 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 thought, I thought this it was going to be better, you know, and I thought this was going to be wonderful. And wow, now there's other challenges and other situations and, and all these things are hitting you and da-da-da-da-da and we don't have any grandchildren yet. And some people say, oh, when you have grandchildren, it's so awesome. You know what, I sort of think I'm going to forecast here, I'm going to prophesy what it's going to be for me and Chris when we have grandchildren is, oh no! Now they're raising kids. Oh no. Should, should I say something or should I not? I, I don't know. I don't know. But see, repentance, guys, is an ongoing thing in our life because our life is always changing. Even from a physical point of view, listen to me here. 15, 20 years ago, it was easier from a physical point of view to be me than it is now. Now when I sit down, I make noise. When I get up out of a chair. Really? That was that much effort? I'm telling you now, it gets about 9, 9.30 at night. Well, I'm, I'm, unless it is really, really interesting, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bed. But you know the other thing? About 5 in the morning. Boom! I wanted to sleep in today! What's wrong with me? The road changes. See, I've got to learn to be a Christian at 59, not a Christian at 45. Not a Christian of 35. Repentance has got to be an ongoing thing in your life. Repentance can't be what you did. And for some of us, our big repentance story is about when we became a Christian. Oh yeah, before I was a Christian, I was sleeping with my boyfriend. I was stealing everything and I could get that wasn't nailed down. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we've all got our story of what we did and how we behaved and how badly we needed to become a Christian, which are probably all true. But you know what? You've been a Christian now for five years, ten years. You ought to have at least an updated version of repentance. <laughs> Haven't you repented of anything lately? <laughs> repentance is an ongoing thing that happens in our life. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. A great passage explaining uh, the, the concepts and, and the, the inner workings of real repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. See, this is how you reset, or you, you, you repent in your life, you reset in your life. It's how you get unfinished things done in your life. You've got to learn to repent on a consistent basis. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Now this Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth and he's written them this letter previously. And he says, even if I cost you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Wow, okay. He says, I know that in my letter I hurt your feelings. That's what he's saying. 
Though I did regret it. He said, well, I, I felt bad about it. I didn't necessarily want to just you know, rub it in your face. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because, look at this, your sorrow led you to repentance. Your sorrow led you to repentance. You see, for some of us, it's hard for us to repent because no one can change our mind. Some of us, it's hard for us to repent because we don't ever want to be sorrowful. We don't ever want to admit, hey, I blew it. I made a mistake. It shouldn't be such a a difficult thing for us to admit that we make mistakes. Those around us know we make mistakes. They're aware of it. I mean, we should be a little bit more humble ourselves. But sorrow is involved in repentance. He says, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So sorrow is involved in real repentance. And it leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So there is a difference of sorrow. You can have a godly type sorrow where you feel bad because you did something wrong uh, and, and it's from God. It's a godly sorrow. Or you can have a worldly sorrow. You got caught. You're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry you did what you did. There's two different kinds of sorrow. He says in verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. So this godly sorrow, this sorrow that's involved in in us being repentant in our life, involves these character qualities or these things that might be happening on the internal uh, uh, of of our life. Uh, What earnestness. We're earnest. We're serious about it. Eagerness. We're eager. I mean, does someone have to talk you into being repentant? Are, are you eager to repent? Hey, I know I need to change some things. I mean, how do you look at your life right now? Oh, I don't need to change anything. Don't tell me I need to change anything. Or, you know, I, need, I know I need to grow. I know I need to be better. It's, are you eager or are you not? You've got to look at your own life there. What indignation. You know, are you a little ticked off? Not at me. Are you a little ticked off at yourself? I mean, being ticked off at a, at, a, at a minister, at a teacher, at a coach, a boss, at the end of the day, isn't probably going to do you much good. But if you can get a little ticked off at yourself, I can do better than this. I know I can do better than this. That's an issue of you with you. It's not an issue of someone on the outside trying to get the job done. It's an issue of what you expect from yourself. What indignation... What alarm. You know, sometimes we need to be alarmed. We're like, wow. I didn't realize how lazy I'd become. I didn't realize, you know, how lustful I'd become. I didn't realize how deceitful I'd become. I didn't realize how uncommitted I'd become. You know, there's times we've got to look at ourselves and, and be alarmed at where we're at. What longing... What concern, what readiness to see justice done. And he goes on, he says, at every point you proved yourself innocent in this matter. In other words, these are the internal things that goes into real repentance. And, and going into the next year, 2015, it is without a doubt that I need to repent. It is without a doubt that you need to repent. The only question is, in what? And we can begin to fill in the blanks. Well, I need to repent 
add. And we had this discussion last night at the dinner table. Chris said, well, hey, do we have any New Year's resolutions? And we had an interesting little you know, discussion there around the table and all that. And I said, you know, uh, I need to repent and, and uh, 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 make a resolution of helping around the house more and keeping the house clean. Now, I've got some areas where I do a good job. I'm pretty good with dishes. And, and uh, I, I do the dishes well. I think Chris would give me passing marks on dishes. <laughs> Sweeping? Not so much, if you know what I'm saying. Are we on the same page? Yeah, okay. We, we have a clear thumbs down over here on, on that. And you know what? I realize, hey, you know, I live in this house just along with, uh, you know, two beagles and, uh, and, and three women and uh, however, however many rats we have in the attic, I don't know. Uh, that, that, that's another discussion for another, another lesson. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I realize, hey, you know, uh, it, it, it's not their job. I live here too. So, you know what? That's just a very simple kind of a area in my life. We all have something to repent of, guys. Come on. You need to be a better employee. You need to be a better employer. You need to be a better husband, better wife. You need to be a better daughter, son. You need to be a better student. You need to be a better neighbor. You need to be, you know, there's all kinds of, it's a target-rich environment. There's something you need to repent of, right? In all of our lives. And so we realize, okay, if I'm going to make the, the, the new year good, I've got to reset. That means in my life, I, I've got to forget what's behind. I've got to strain toward what's ahead. I've got to repent. I, I've got to embrace the idea. Uh, you know, I'm not the only one in the room. Yeah. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to find things in their life and be honest about the things in their life that they need to change and listen uh, uh, to their own conscience in that area. You know, a lot of times we just need to listen to ourselves. It isn't that we have to have someone else help us, although we're going to talk about that next. But for most of us, we probably know most of what we need to change right now. We just need to get serious about it, right? Okay, now the third one. Look over to Titus chapter 1. You guys with me here? Unfinished business. We've got to get the unfinished business going in this next year. Titus chapter 1. We're talking about things that scriptures that, that he makes reference to things that aren't finished. In Titus 1, verse 5, Titus is a minister, Paul's writing to him. He says, The reason I left you in Crete, Crete is an island. So they had established a church there, and he left Titus there. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might, two things here, straighten out what was left unfinished. Well, that's unfinished business, right? Yeah. And to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus here has a very clear understanding from Paul, why did I leave you with the young church there in Crete? Because there's things that are not finished. And you've got to make sure that you appoint elders in, in, uh, in, in, in the situation. He goes on and he gives qualifications for these elders. And, and look at these things that he says. It's very interesting. He says uh, an elder must be blameless. Now that's an, that's an umbrella uh, comment, his first comment. Blameless meaning sort of all these things. Husband of, of but one wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Uh, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. He said that again. Uh, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonor, 
dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So he gives sort of these, these descriptions of an elder, a person that would be qualified to serve in this place. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of different things that he says there. We're not going to go into all that. And he says in verse 10, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, they must be silenced. He says, I left you there because there's some problems with the church. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want to shake up anybody here, but there's problems with our church. There are. And I want you to turn to your right. Now turn to your left. Okay. You have just identified the problems in our church. (laughs) He says, Titus, I want you to understand I'm leaving you there because things are unfinished. Isn't it curious then He says, you need some help. You need some people with you. You need some other people. And he says, you need to appoint elders. You need to have these overseers. There are people that are going to help. And he goes down there and he says, for there are many rebellious people. There's problems in the church. There always has been problems in the church. He indicates that how you get unfinished business done is you have to identify people that can help you. Partners that can help you deal with the problems you're dealing with in your life. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need help with your life. It doesn't mean that you're not competent. It doesn't mean that you're not an intelligent person. It doesn't mean you're not a mature person. It doesn't mean that you're not an educated or informed person. All of us need help in our life. Titus needed help. I don't know Titus. Didn't know him from a historical point of view. He must have been a fine young minister. But he needed help. I need help. I need help in my marriage. I need help in my family. I need help with my ministry. I need help in my personal life. I need help. There's nothing at all wrong with a person understanding that you need help in your life. As a matter of fact, if you don't think you need any help in your life, wow! Wow! You're a train wreck! the world around us even the world around us the non-Christian non-believing world around us understands that people need help there's nothing in, 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 in saying you need help that makes you spiritual but if you say you need no help you better ask yourself what does that say about your spirituality 
What does that say about your humility? What does that say about your understanding of, of the need of having other people in your life? Jesus certainly understood the necessity of people being involved in each other's lives. He says, by our love for one another will be the identifying quality of real Christians. By this all men will know you're my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. Your love for one another is shown certainly in your involvement and wanting to be helpful in each other's lives. And, and wanting people to be helpful in your life. This isn't saying Titus is a doofus. It's simply saying, Titus, you got some problems and you need some help. How do you reset your life? How do you go from 2014 into, uh, into 2015 where you say, hey, I want 2015 to be a great time in my life. You realize, I've got to get some help in my life. I've, I've got to have some friends. I've got to have some, some uh, partners in my life. I've got to have some peers in my life, but I've also got to have some mentors in my life. You know, sometimes we need a peer, right? Yeah. Buddies. We're peers. We're on the same level. There's other times in your life you need a mentor. You need someone to walk you through things in life. I had one of the brothers here this morning talk to me, hey, I need to talk about some parenting issues. You know what? I respect that brother. I respect that a whole lot more than someone who knows they need to talk and know they need some help and say, well, I don't want to admit I need help. What, 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 what's the respect about that? you got a problem, but you don't want to get any help? I respect the person who says, you know, i got a problem, I need some help. I don't look down on that person, I actually admire them. That's fantastic. You need help. It's not a judgment of your character. You're not a failure of being who you are. As a matter of fact, the saying that you need help is, is admitting what, what you should already know and what others around you probably have observed. Not in a bad way. No, no one's being critical. No one's being hyper. No one's trying to run you down. No, no one's trying to you know, say you're, you're not uh, capable. Titus needed help in the church there in, 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 uh, in his circumstances and his situation. And you look at the, the, the quality of person that Paul says you need to look for. Well, you look for someone who's, who's got their life together. You look for someone that, that can help you. You know, the Bible says one of the ones, uh, passages you should know, 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. Yep. Yeah, we need help in our life, we need input in our life, but we better get it from someone who, who is a decent person. If you understand what I'm saying. You need to make sure who your friends are. You know, you can choose your friends. Your, your friends should be your choice. As a minister, every once in a while, this has happened to me. And it maybe not have happened to all of you, but it happens to me. Someone will come to me and say, I'm going to be your best friend. Well, you know, I, in one sense I understand what they're saying. You know, they, they want to be friends. Amen. But do I get a vote here? I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be your best friend. Really? That's like the guy who goes up to the girls. I'm going to marry you. That girl runs away, man. I'm going to marry you. We haven't even gone to dad. I don't know your name. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to go to the police about you. It's called stalking. Man, you can go to jail for that. But we need help in our life. But we need to make sure that our friends, uh, the, the people that we choose to... to in, in one sense, have that level of, of closeness where we can talk about 
our life and how we're feeling and how we're going and those kind of things. It's very important we have those kind of people in our life. Unfinished business. Here's the thing, guys. It's 2015 whether you like it or not. It's the new year whether we uh, want it to be or not. I think the, the things that we've studied from the Word of God here give us a good thought to go into the year. How do we get the year off to a good start? Well, we forget what's behind and we strain toward what's ahead. Okay? We repent and we embrace the concept that I need to repent. And thirdly, you get some responsible partners around you that can help you with your life, help you to be the kind of man, help you be the kind of woman that God wants you to be. Let's have a fantastic 2015. You with me? Amen. You are dismissed.